Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 351 of the Peristyle Podcast. Coming at you from San Antonio, Texas, where Gerard Martinez, Gmart Live, and myself are down here covering the Army All-American game. Got a big show for you, though, talking about the USC's big win in the Holiday Bowl. We got Dan Weber coming up a little later on the show. We got Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. Going to talk all about the USC Trojans beating Nebraska. We got a bunch of questions to get to. If you have any questions, send us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call us at 206-888-6755, or go right to our website, peristylepodcast.com, and you can leave a voicemail right on the page from your computer. Try to keep it short, try to keep it under a minute, and we'd love to play it on the show. We've got a couple of voicemail questions today, as also a bunch of written questions, and without further ado, let's bring in the coach, Harvey Hyde. What's up, coach? How you doing? Ryan, Happy New Year, buddy. Yes, a holiday victory. Uh, you're busy back there in San Antonio. I'm busy here in Southern California with the Rose Bowl game and all the events I'm attending and emceeing, and you're back there evaluating talent. So we should have an interesting show, especially after the victory 45-42 over Nebraska. I know we'll have a lot of questions on that, and I'm anxious to get started. Yeah, and before we jump into it, I just want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or you can call them at one 800 888-7287. Check them out if you need tickets for anything. They can help you out at sctickets.com. They've been helping us out for years and years. And uh, Coach, we have, a, we have a bunch of questions about the game, so we're maybe not going into too much detail. But overall, what was your impression? And we'll kind of get into some more details when, with some of the questions. Well, you know, whenever you win, uh, it's great. 45-42 is not a lot, by a lot, uh, but they... Uh, he effectively uh, played the Hail Mary, so that saved them uh, in That's this a bonus. game. That's a bonus. That's right. They've got that straightened away because they have players on the field like Rice Dixon and, and uh, you know, Aguilar and Juju Smith and guys that can jump and have hands and know what to do. So that's an improvement. But I tell you, I was worried, Ryan. I mean, yes, it's great to win, and and, and, and I'm not trying to be negative. But, wow, I'll tell you what, for a while there, all the momentum had changed. They were running the football. They, they were running option. Uh, for a while, they were throwing the football really well. Uh, I didn't know what was going to actually happen. I thought Nebraska really had a great game plan and was well coached. And, uh, and I think USC uh, uh, did things well. Whenever a guy can rush for 152 yards, which Buck Allen did, and uh, Cody Kessler can throw for – three touchdown passes, but, you know, they got outscored in the first quarter, 17-10, to 10, and that's been their most dominant quarter, you know, outscoring people 157-36. to 36. So they didn't really start off real good. It took them a while to get warmed up. Dory Jackson's kickoff return certainly did remind me of a guy named DeAnthony Thomas, yeah. which uh, we've all seen enough of, and uh, he looked uh, tremendous. I thought he had two touchdown plays that only he could have done. And he did it. 
So I thought he was great. I think McCray made two plays in a row there in the fourth quarter that were huge, knocking down of the pass and then stopping on the fourth down play uh, there to stop the drive. So a uh, couple of freshmen making big-time plays. I thought they were great. I think the penalties really did hurt them, stupid penalties in the first quarter, believe me. And, you know, uh, uh, no one was happier than me, Adore, and I didn't do any backflip, okay? I don't know how to do a black backflip. But you know you're going to get flagged. You know what's going to happen. Are you willing to just do it to get 15-yard penalty? I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. And then uh, Leonard Williams on his uh, personal foul penalty, pontine or whatever they want to call it, that's not smart football. And you can't get away with those things. And, and, and it shows me sometimes that you just do whatever you want. You don't see that happening in Alabama. You don't see that happening at Urban Meyer. Like you've got to have a little bit more control of the celebration rule and how you do it. And there's a lot of other questions we have, and I have a lot of other comments. But congratulations to USC for a 45-42 win, a 9-4 season, a two-game winning, winning streak at the end of the year, a big win over Notre Dame, and then, of course, the bowl victory in the Holiday Bowl, the first time the Pac-12 has won there since Steve Sarkeesian was there four years ago. So Sark's learned to win down in San Diego. Yeah, not too bad. And uh, we, we do, we're going to talk about the discipline. We've got some more questions to get to. But I wanted to start off. we got a USC fan and SEC country coach. I want to play that question for you. Um, talking about the defense. Here you go. What's good, Ryan and Coach Hart? This is Brian from Birmingham, Alabama. Big SEC fan here in SEC country. Love the win last night. However... The defense, something has got to change. Um, any comments or suggestions on that defensive effort at the end? Seems that we play too soft in the fourth quarter. No blitzes, no no change up in coverage. Want to get Coach Hyde's comments on it. Again, um, we need to close for recruiting. That's going to be real key this year. But overall, I'm pretty pretty much satisfied with um, Sox efforts this year. Um Again, big fan of the show. Go Trojans. Brian in Alabama. Well, you've got to be careful down there, but they're really rolling tide roll down there. But, Brian, thank you very much for calling in, and Happy New Year to you. And I think you probably watched the same game that I saw. Uh, yes, I would have, have a lot of concerns on the defensive side of the football. Uh, I really think that, uh, you know, playing Oregon next year and playing a lot of teams that have athletic quarterbacks – that they've got to learn to defend those guys better. They have outside the outside perimeter of their defense is very soft. I think a lot of that has to do with their corners being really smaller corners and the larger receivers can block them. But you gotta make you gotta make changes. You've got to be able to stop the athletic quarterback and S C or USC has not been able to do that. The option team, the running quarterback, everyone now has one of those types of quarterbacks. You're not going to see the standard quarterbacks. You're going to see the Hundleys. You're going to see the Mariotas. You're going to see all those Kellys. You're going to see those type of players now when you play. So I think you do have to make some changes on defense and understand the schemes and get that straightened away. I really think that's the biggest thing you have to correct, one of the biggest things you have to correct during the offseason, find out exactly what you need to do to make those changes. Also, you asked me about blitzing. You know, I'm one that always believes you have to mix it up. I've said this all the time. When they know where you are, it's so much easier 
Now, they jumped around in there. They moved the linebackers in and out and moved them around. Once in a while, they brought them, but not often. You've got to be able to keep the offensive line and also the quarterback guessing, too. Are you coming? Aren't you coming? Corner blitzes, different things, safety blitzes, uh, all the different type of schemes that, you know, you cover it up. You know, when you blitz, you also cover it up with some other type of coverage or whatever whatever's necessary. But you gotta, you can't just sit there and read. Your, your, your defense gets worn out in pass rushing. And I think you saw the fatigue there towards the end of the game with the defensive front. Uh, they were worn out. And then Townsend uh, has some type of, they said, concussion, which I didn't, wasn't aware of whatsoever. So they're down one number there. And, uh, you know, uh, the defensive front really wasn't dominant. One guy was dominant, and that was Leonard Williams. He certainly did stick out. But you've got to be more dominant, more physical on the defensive line as far as I'm concerned, as far as stopping those type of teams. You've got to play on their side of the football. You've got to stop it before it gets started. The, the quarterback doesn't, 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 doesn't run out, and, and he knows when he's running out, I'm going to hit him, so he knows he's going to toss it. It just becomes a delayed sweep. That's what it is when it's option. You know, I have my philosophies on ways to stop option. Other people have their philosophies. But uh, blitzing and not being able to stop the option and athletic quarterbacks, I think, is something that really, really has to be done. And, and you also mentioned the defense being a little bit soft. As the game goes along, it gets softer because they get worn down. They're not physical. That physical on the defense side of the football, at least what I consider physical. Pollard makes plays. Uh, Williams makes plays, but you've got to have more people making plays, big plays like McCray did there towards the end of the game. You've got to find a way to make a play. You've got to make big plays. You've got to intercept passes. When you have those opportunities to intercept, what, three or four passes during the game and you don't get any? I mean, you get one, Suva Cravens? I mean, wow. My game plan going into the game was force Armstrong to pass the football. Force him to pass the football and you'll win the game. Because he's not a tall guy. Contain. Keep him in the pocket. How can you lose contain on an athletic quarterback? You can't do that. And he can't see over the rush to the inside if you contain. But he rolls around and some of his big plays were because he broke containment. And threw the ball down the field and the defensive back can't cover all day. So I agree with you. Recruiting is going to be very, very important. Nine and four overall. Uh, well, you know, you got to take it. Whether you like it or you don't like it, it's a winning season and a bowl victory in two in a row moving into your 2015 year, and that starts today. All right. Uh, thanks for that one, uh, Brian. Let's go. Melvin had a kind of a shorter question, which is strange for Melvin. He likes to, to write a lot of uh, stuff in there. But his question was, in my opinion, it seems the USC linebackers on the outside seem to lack a lot of range and speed slash quickness. Would you guys agree or disagree? I agree. I agree. I think they play hard. They give it everything they have. But they're not the most athletic. And they're not real tall. And uh, you should be really quick and, and be able to run fast, play outside linebackers, put pressures on people. You've got to be able to run by them before they can get out of their stance to block you. You've got to be able to... Uh, really blitz in a hurry. Where guy, when you come up the inside on the blitz, or you come to the uh, do a, a cross charge or something that, you know, they don't even see you coming. You get through there so fast they can't even pick you up. You're like a blur. Uh, they need to get great quickness on the outside. I'll agree 100%. Not that they don't play hard, 
They play hard. Teilhard Tavai plays hard. Felix plays hard. But athletically, it's it's uh, not to the level of what you need to do to play against some of these athletic players today. Um, yeah, I agree with you, and it'll be interesting. I mean, just watching uh, some NFL stuff this weekend, you see like the Ray Malugas of the world, and, and you, I was thinking, Coach, like, is there really a guy like that on this team? It's like, not really. <laughs> no, there isn't. Uh, you don't have that type of physical player currently right now on the defensive side of the football. You know, you don't have a Brian Cushing. You don't you don't have a Clay Matthews. You don't have that on this defense, and that's the level you have to go towards and recruit towards. You can't recruit and you think you're going to predict what they're going to be. You've got to get the best in the country. you got to go national. You've got to get the best players, the players everybody else wants. You don't want to recruit guys and say, well, he's a, he's a four-star, so we'll take him. Hey. Just because he's a four-star doesn't mean he can play. He might have matured already, and he's not going to get any faster or bigger. You've got to be able to forecast the ability of a player, go nationally and get the same player everybody else wants as far as. If you don't, they're going to play against you. When you play Oregon and UCLA, FC next year back-to-back, that's going to be a real experience. Yeah. So you better get some athletes to play against those guys. Believe me, I had a chance to look at the Oregon team tonight Meet every one of them, shake every one of their hands, because I emceed the uh, Lares people, and uh, I had a chance to eyeball them all and talk to all of them and get a feeling about them. And they're recruiting. They're recruiting. Uh, Oregon recruits out of state, the entire nation more than any other team in the Pac-12, and the coach admitted that their roster has more players throughout the country than even Stanford. So you got to go looking for the type of players that fit what you're trying to do. And they definitely do a good job of that. And uh, hopefully you had some good prime rib, Coach. Oh, I did. I really did. In fact, the pieces are too big. I said, give me a small piece. <laughs> I love it. The Diamond Jim Brady. That's a little big, too. Um, we'll, 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 uh, we'll, we'll talk about some prime rib later on. I want to get the rest of these questions and get you out of here since we're doing this on the road. And... Uh, I know it's a little more. It's a little difficult when I'm on the road doing these things, but hopefully it comes out okay. I know last week, Coach, there were some problems with the a little bit of problem with the audio, but I think it's gonna it'll be all fixed now, so we should be good to go. A couple questions left. Uh, Clemens wanted to know. Uh, this is a really interesting point, Coach. Um, during the instant analysis, we talked about is this a successful season for USC or not? And Steve Sarkeesian was asked that question. He said it definitely was a success. Um, I agreed. I mean, I, I think that, you know, you're going to be compared to last year. Winning nine games uh, is one short of what they won last year, but beating Notre Dame, I think, counts for something. Going to a better ball, holiday ball, beating a better team in Nebraska, I think all that counts for something. So all in all, I would put it on par with, with last year when they had three different head coaches and still won 10 games. So that, that was kind of what uh, I was talking about during instant analysis, Coach. And Clemens wrote in and said he thinks it's an excellent question. I believe the results on National Letter of Intent Day should also be considered and, and discussed in some of the responses to fully vet out the final conclusion if it's a successful season or not. However, I would suggest watching Kenny Bell's interview on Scout after last night's game. So that's the Nebraska wide receiver. His response to an SC question concerning the level of talent we have is very telling in terms of answering your question, i.e., after 13 games to, perceive, to be perceived 
as the best quote-unquote raw talented football team he's ever faced tells me that our coaching is woefully subpar at best. Enjoy San Antonio. Safe travels. Fight on Clemens. Um, so I don't know if you saw that, Coach, but the interview, Kenny Bell, they asked him about it, and he definitely said this was the most talented team he had faced. So what, what are your thoughts on that, successful season or not, and did USC not, not perform up to expectations of the talent? Well, as I've been saying the entire year, Ryan, and you can uh, verify this, I've said I wouldn't change the SC football roster with any other team in the Pac-12. How many times have I told you that? A couple, yeah. <laughs> a couple of times, and I've also said numbers haven't made a difference in this year's season. And people keep saying it has, it has, it has. Earlier, now even now the coaches are saying, well, it, had, it hasn't really made a difference. So, you know, you can only play 11 players at one time on the field. And, of course, in practice you don't have the depth maybe uh, to hit as much. But it's the talent that counts of what you have on the field. And I've said all along, so I'm not changing, you've got to have your talent in a place where they can play and not watch the game. You've got great receivers, but a lot of them aren't playing all the time. You've got some other great players that aren't playing all the time. You've got to find a place to get them on the field so my five-star or my great player is playing as much as your great player is playing. And I don't think they get that done. They do too much alternating. They don't have the guys also on the defensive side of the football to give them success that they do. They have guys watching, like Juju Smith. I don't know how many plays he played in the Holiday Bowl, but he'd be a heck of a defensive player. And he says he's not afraid to play defense. He would look forward to playing defense. So I'm saying get your players on the field. That's number one. As far as talented USC, unbelievable talent. They're leading some spots. You heard me talk about it a moment ago as far as the defensive line and maybe the physicalness of their linebackers and outside linebackers and so on. But, you know, uh, when Kenny Bell says this, he's saying this too to say they played pretty well too, but they played uh, USC pretty close, 45-42, and he's not a bad little player himself. He's, he averaged about 16, 17 yards a catch the entire season, so he's a good player himself. But... uh are they utilizing their talent? Uh, are they being coached properly? Uh, you know, that's a tough question for me to answer, and I'd really not not answer that question. But I think if you have great players, it's your responsibility as a teacher, which a coach is, to make sure that they understand what you're trying to teach and to make sure you put your players into a type of offense and defense that fits their skills so that they can best utilize their athletic ability. And if you're not doing that, then you're, it's shameful. I think that you should be taking advantage of the talent you have. And now, from now on, they are recruiting to that style of offense and defense that they plan on running. But I think they have to improve on defense. As I mentioned, they have to start, learn to stop, stop athletic uh, uh, quarterbacks. I think the special teams, since we jumped into this, their kickoff coverage is absolutely ridiculous when you have to kick the ball because you can't tackle Abdullah. Uh, you have to kick, squib, kick it. Heck, get a kicker that kicks the ball out of the end zone. Everybody <laughs> else has one. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't understand why they get field position at the 45, 50-yard line. I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, just and this is USC. Walk-ons at other colleges are kicking better than that. 
So I think Wood was kicking pretty good for a while. He was kicking it into the end zone. I forget how many times he kicked off. So there's some things that need to be ironed out, and you've got to get this taken care of immediately. You've got to see what your needs are, and you better correct it. But the way Coach Sarkeesian is talking, and nothing against being positive, but he keeps telling everybody how they're going to be next year real good. Right, he keeps saying that. Uh, it's set up pretty well, but just I think there's some changes going to have to be made, Coach. And um, speaking of changes, I guess that's a good segue into our next, our last question. It's actually three different questions from Jesse Rodriguez. He's a uh, U.S. Army retired, so thanks for your service, Jesse, and uh, thanks for the question. And so I'll read you, I'll read you one at a time, Coach, and and let you answer the three. First one is, uh, since we finished on a win- winning note, what changes do you see in the program next year? as far as schemes, coaches, stuff like that? Well, currently right now they don't have any coaching openings at USC. Uh, They're going to recruiting. If there are some changes, maybe someone will get a new position and that will open a position. But I don't think currently right now Coach Sarkeesian is planning on making any new new changes. If he was, I think he would do it because players – don't appreciate, and you're at recruiting, and you know what's going on, Ryan. If you recruit a player and you like a coach and you're recruited to that school and that coach then leaves after you sign that national letter of intent or you remove him, hey, that player's not real happy. He's not happy about coming to your university. So if you're going to make a change, you better make it right now. Like the University of Utah, they've lost three coaches during this coaching change. Two went to Utah, another one went to Texas A, two went to Oregon State, and another one went to – Texas A&M, so a lot of coaching changes going on, a lot of movement going on. So if you're going to get rid of a coach, you better do it before he recruits a player and then leaves. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, you know how that works. They're not real happy about that, Ryan. No, not certainly not. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see. So we'll see what happens there. His second one, Coach, what players that are eligible to leave early – do you realistically see returning, and what young players do you figure replace the obvious starters that are leaving? Well, uh, you know, I, I hate to say this, if I'm uh, Coach Sarkeesian and and uh, I'm Leonard Williams, uh, when I talk to him, I say, Leonard, I love you loyally. I love everything you're saying about your thinking about staying or not. I think he's going to announce it right away what he's doing. But he can't accomplish anymore in college. I mean, he's done it. He, I'm sure he's going to be a top pick. Uh, he's been loyal to USC, never transferred, went through the whole thing, but was recruited during that period of time. He's a superstar. you got to say, I love you, but you got to do what's best for you, too. Yeah. I would feel so bad, and you would too, Ryan, if you talk someone in the stain and that person got hurt and couldn't play anymore. So I think he played with some injuries this year. He dominated. He played hard. Uh, yeah, uh, everyone expects that from him, but it's difficult to do. Everybody's trying to play hard, but he dominated, was an All-American, and I hate to say this, but I think he's coming out. Uh, Buck Allen, uh, you know, running backs don't have a long career in the NFL. And, you know, they really aren't uh, the what necessity of what they used to be. There's so much passing now in the NFL. But Buck Allen has great hands. And he got 152 yards against a good physical front last night in Nebraska. Uh, if I'm going to guess now, I hate to say this, I would guess he's going to come out. I don't want him to come out. 
but you know, wanting and what he does is two different things. Yeah. I hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't, Ryan, but I think he might. And then about replacing those guys, like who do you think would come in and uh I mean is it Justin Davis for Buck Allen or maybe Trey Madden and and how I don't know how you replace Leonard Williams, but who who do you think they'd try to put in there? Well, you don't replace him, okay, and, and who do you have on campus that even is near him or, or thought to be near him, who are you going to move over there? Are you going to move over if Antoine comes back and plays the noise, who are you going to move over there, Simmons? Or Townsend? Townsend's always hurt. So I, I haven't seen him, you know, play a complete uh, more than two games in a row. Uh, who, who? I don't know. Allen's back. Uh, I, I, you don't have a dominant player like that. Who's going to replace him? I really don't know. If, if it would have been me, me, I'd have gone out and gone after the top two junior college tackles in America, the two best. I mean, superstars, not just guys that can think about playing, but guys that can play, guys that go to the Southeastern Conference that start every year and dominate. Those are the type of guys I'm talking about. Now, they might have to wait for them to come in September, but I tell you, I'd rather take a junior college kid that's a JC All-American that's played 20 football games and expect a freshman to come in and start. Not that freshmen can't. Smallwood did that at Arizona State. Yeah. But it doesn't happen that often. So, you know, I hope they get they plan, and I'm sure they know what they're doing, but all the time all I hear about is receivers committing. <laughs> so, and I think you've got a lot of receivers. Yeah. So I, I don't know who they're even recruiting as a defensive lineman. Right, you know, you might know. I know they're returning that kid from Sarah, but you know, you can't figure out what he's going to do. It, uh, it should be a pretty good defensive line class, Coach, and uh, already shaping up to be. But they they've backed off. There was going to be four receivers at a time. Looks like there's only going to be two now. So I think they might have heard you and say, you know, maybe we don't need four or five receivers in this class. Let's get a couple extra defensive players. Well, I hope they do, but they need to really get going on the defensive side of the football with some physical kits. And you know, you got to bring a lot of them. You know, not just you bring one or two. You got to bring a lot of the defensive side of the football. Yeah. As far as replacing Nelson Aguilar, I don't think. Uh, I mean, you could replace him with somebody. Okay, so yes, I hope he comes back. Who wouldn't? But you've got a George Farmer. You've got a Juju Smith. And, and by the way, did you see they had that race on Christmas Day? down at the Holiday Bowl, uh, Dory Jackson, I think it was, and George Farmer and somebody else, and George Farmer beat them all yeah. in a 50-yard dash. Crazy. I know, it is crazy. I would never let my guys race and pull a hamstring the day before the game. <laughs> I, I don't think I'd... I, I, I would have run over there and, and stopped right in the middle of the media. You guys are having a press conference, and they're over there racing. Man, can you imagine a pull a hamstring hamstring at that time i don't know i'm just talking out loud thinking out loud i guess but uh you know so nelson and then you're talking about uh the other one being um who's the other one that might come out four of them uh well cody kessler said he's coming back max turk said he's coming back yeah that's it yeah, yeah that's it yeah cody that's it rest of them that they'll, they'll be coming back i'm glad to see cody come back too yeah i mean cody had the stats to go out and you know, he's threw a lot of 39 touchdown passes, you know, five interceptions. Had a great year. But he's a great leader, and I think if he didn't come back, man, I'll tell you what, I think that the team, you know, would be struggling a little bit early. 
All right, and then one last one from uh, Jesse Rodriguez. Is there any chance that Sarkeesian gives up the play-calling duties and becomes a full-fledged head coach, one that manages the team and his assistants? If he wants an area to coach that bad, what about special teams? Very respectfully, Jesse Rodriguez, U.S. Army retired. Well, Jesse, there's times he'd like to give it up. I think in the fourth quarter he'd like to say, Clay, you call the plays. <laughs> but when you're not moving the football, then obviously you wish someone else was doing it. But I don't think he'll ever give that up for a while. He's still a young coach, and he hasn't got it out of his system. And uh, young coaches sometimes uh, just uh, haven't had their 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 time of, of doing that stuff. I think he'd be, a, he'd be a better head coach. And, you know, I would tell him to his face. I think that you have so many things going on, it's very difficult to concentrate uh during the week as far as putting game plans together with all your press conferences and speaking engagements and all of the above and meetings on campus. And I think you'd be a better head coach as far as being able to coach both sides of the ball, be a part of the special teams, as Jesse mentioned, uh, be moving around the field, watching defensive drills as well as offensive drills and making the team feel more as, as though you care about what's happening on both sides of the ball. Not that you don't now, but you'd be more, a part of it sit in on defensive meetings which you can't do now and of course watch the special teams as we were just talking about i mean really uh, the block punt and that kind of stuff i mean when you look at the special teams and that, that stuff that's going on i mean it's amazing the roughing the kicker penalty that they missed is absolutely ridiculous so I don't know what conference those officials were from. What big, conference were Big they 12. From? They were Big 12. But it looked the first quarter where USC had eight penalties, it looked like a Pac-12 crew. Then they backed off after that. Then it looked like a more normal game. But, man, that first quarter, it, it just looked, it looked like it was Pac-12. It looked like grass, glasses ref all over again. Wow. I'm telling you, that was unbelievable. Eight penalties first quarter. I think they ended up with... 100 and some yards, 97 yards or something in penalties. Yeah. See, you just can't, you just can't do that, Ryan. You just can't have those type of penalties in, uh, in a great football game. And sometimes you just don't survive. You're beating yourself. Yeah. You're absolutely beating yourself. That's why I made that comment earlier about allowing kids like Dory Jackson to do that fake flip. You know you're going to get flagged. You know it. If you did that backflip at Alabama, you might as well backflip all the way out the tunnel out onto the freeway <laughs> because that's about where your token's going to take you, you know? So, you know, and kids are fun. Kids want to celebrate. and It should celebrate, but you can't celebrate knowing you're going to get a penalty. You yeah. just can't do that. you got to think about it. All right. Well, Coach, great stuff. Thanks for uh, coming on again and sharing some insights on the, the big win over Nebraska in the Holiday Bowl. It's been a Fun fun year doing the podcast with you, and uh, we'll start up again next week in uh, 2015. We will do that, Brian. And, again, I want to say Happy New Year to everyone out there. And, again, it's always great to win. It's always great to uh, talk with you on how I actually feel and how I see it. And, again, remember what I say is only an opinion. You've got yours, too. So let's have a great recruiting year, USC people, and they should. Let's see what happens. All right. Well, thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. And everyone else, back in a minute, we're going to talk to uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. 
We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, Some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by Dan Weber, USCFootball.com beat writer, who was down with me in San Diego for the Holiday Bowl. It was a little chilly out there, Dan, but got through it and got a lot of interviews, and uh, USC got the win. Yeah, they did. Uh, They'll take it, and they were thrilled to death. Uh, to get it, and uh, you know, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I was happy for them being as happy as they were. Uh, although you do notice that, you know, in years past, uh, that probably wouldn't have set off the kind of joy that it did with this team. And you know, partly I think that's this team uh, they really needed. You know, for the guys that are leaving, especially who've been through this whole time. Uh, they really needed to send them out with a win, and a loss would have been just catastrophic for everybody involved. So I think there was that just sense of, uh, you know, we escaped and, and we got out of here with a W, and that's all that matters. Uh, and so uh, it was an interesting uh, watching them. I mean, you know, because you, you're up 45-27, and you think, man, this shouldn't have been close at all. <laughs> and how happy should you be about something like that? And they just decided, hey, we got out of here. You know, we've had a couple of these that went the other way. This one didn't. We'll take it and get out of the dodge. And that's what they did. Yeah. Um, well, we got a lot of questions to get to. So maybe I think we can discuss some of our thoughts about the game through these different questions we get through. And then at the end, if there's anything else we want to add, we'll jump in with that. But um, I'm going to start with Melvin. Uh he says, looking into next season, I hope we don't have to see our defensive schemes and strategies as in the games with Boston College, UCLA, end-of-game lapses like ASU and Utah, Nebraska and Arizona, and scary moments, even with big wins against Colorado and Cal. Bottom line, does Coach Sark finally get tired of the defense where no new schemes or strategies on defense and or improvements from game to game? In other words, does Sark find a new defensive coordinator? Uh, that's from Melvin. So maybe get your thoughts on the defense. No, not a new defensive coordinator. Uh, not at all, I think, uh, according to his, uh, Sark's conference call Sunday night. However, he did talk about having had a conversation with Coach Wilcox and how, you know, USC basically decided with Nebraska they were going to, you know, they knew Nebraska – had a lot of offense, and they were going to try to take away the run game. And they did it, you know, okay, not a bad job. They didn't let Abdullah run crazy, and uh, and Armstrong hurt him once. But, uh, 
they uh, they pretty much did what they wanted to do, which meant that the you know secondary was going to have to play a lot of man to man, be responsible for uh, you know guys, uh, pretty decent receivers actually. Not that Armstrong was a great thrower, but he ends up he ends up throwing the ball 52 times, and they really you know he set a re- his own career record for 380 whatever one yards, and uh, that didn't happen. And the secondary looked overmatched. And Sark talks about, he talked to Wilcox and says, you know, we've got to start being able to shut people down when we play man-to-man. And, you know, when we're in these, you know, kind of critical situations, third and long, we got to be able to stop people and not give them what we're giving them. He said, instead of being able to shut people down in these critical situations, we're playing softer than ever. And we're letting them... You know, get plays that we just absolutely shouldn't shouldn't be happening, and that's uh, one of the two big focuses of of going forward next year is the ability to you know start shutting people down with man to man and playing it you know confidently, and uh, and that's something that they absolutely couldn't do uh, until you know Leon McClay stepped up there. And made his two plays back to back. One, uh, you know, one up on, on a, you know, defending a pass, and then the fourth down uh, on the fly sweep. Uh, wasn't a great day for the secondary. Dropping the four potential interceptions uh, also wasn't wasn't a good day. But uh, but yeah, Sark. Uh, it's the first time he's talked about it kind of that way. That was just a little bit of a different, like, you know, realization that man, you know what. This isn't getting better, and it's got to get better. If you know this team is going to be as good as Sark, you know, thinks it can be. Um, yeah, it's uh, really interesting what Steve Sarkisian had to say. That he even talked to Justin Wilcox like right after the game about, and specifically said during that conference call, Dan, you know, you're talking about those are the situations where we should be the most aggressive and we were the most passive. And I think that was a criticism throughout the whole year. I'm not sure why it took game 13 to say, Hey, why, why are we doing this? But I, I don't know what the, but I thought it was really interesting. It was a really interesting comment. Yeah. You couldn't miss it. The comment and you couldn't miss it. If you're at the game and thinking, who are we playing? Is this Nebraska? I mean, is this Nebraska or Arizona? I mean, uh, they look like they're running up tempo, throwing the ball, and uh, you know Armstrong just looked like, whoa, this wasn't the scouting report anybody had on these guys. I mean, he and had record had attempts, record completions, record he, more than 100 yards further than he's ever thrown in his life. I mean, made him look like uh, like Joe Montana or something out there. No, I mean, uh, so that I think it was so obvious. It's so, whoa, you know, didn't do a bad job on Abdullah. Uh, you know, lost Armstrong once, but okay, you know, we can accept that. Uh, couldn't accept the pass defense. That was just guys falling down, you know, giving up uh, 65-yard touchdown passes when, you know, it looked like a, you know, a little bit of a clown show on that on that one play to Westerkamp where he, he, you know, catches the ball and he's standing there and all of a sudden he realizes, every USC defender just ran into one another and they're lying down, you know, on the ground. And, like, that's that's not acceptable. Yeah. It, 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 it clearly, uh, you know, hit Sark. 
because uh, he, he obviously talked to uh, Justin Wilcox after the game about it, like he said. And uh, so that we hadn't heard that before. That's uh, yeah, that was that's new. A change in attitude, huh? <laughs> that was new. Yeah. That was, and I, I don't yeah, think that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, oh no! But no, for the no. for the USC fans that want a change on the coaching staff, he was specifically asked about Ed Orgeron. Didn't address it specifically, but said. You know, he wants all of his guys back. So I don't think he's going to voluntarily make any voluntarily make any changes on this staff. You know, that still could be cover. You know, if, if people are looking, you're not going to tell people they're looking. You know, you, you, you want, let's say somebody is interested in maybe moving on or moving somewhere or whatever, you would want to make it sound like he really, or you really want him here in order to, give them the best chance to move on if they want to, I think. So, I mean, it, it, you know, I don't know. I think those kinds of answers at this time of the year are really impossible to know exactly what they're saying. You know, yeah. it, it may mean we're not going to ask anybody to leave. Right. Yeah. I think that's what it means. We're not going to tell somebody you have to leave. Uh, but uh, I, th- I don't think it means – there won't be anybody leaving. No, I agree with there you. Might I, not be. Yeah. But yeah. I think a lot of USC fans would like someone to be made to leave yeah. <laughs> as opposed to thinking that no one's going to hire them anyway. So that's no, <laughs> um, fair or not, but right. that's, it's, I, it might not be that yeah, simplistic. <laughs> I, I just think, you know, it's like the, uh, you know, what are the three or four, three guys anyway, at this point who are thinking about leaving for the NFL or not, uh, you just, you know, guessing on a, on a couple of them at this point, or at least one of them, and it's just some of these things you just have to let play out. I mean, I know already somebody is worried about, well, what if you know Harbaugh at Michigan? Does that mean Trevno's going to leave? And you just think here's a guy that's gone his whole life and tried to get back to Southern California with his family and his connections to USC, and you think. Oh yeah, he's going to leave for Ann Arbor immediately. You know, now he left Harbaugh, and uh, but I know people get to thinking about things and, and worrying about things and wondering what's going to happen before it could possibly ever happen. And you just some things you just have to let play out. And if it happens, it happens. You know. Yeah. I think that's good advice. Um, all right, let's move on. John has a question. He says, for 2015, I'd like to have discipline. With all the coaches and sub-coaches, I think he's talking about assistant coaches, I just want discipline. I hope Sark puts away the smoke, bells and whistles on the sideline, bubble screens and misguides on offense, and bend and break defense. Not don't break, I guess he said bend and break. Uh, Another game that should have been an easy win with all the talent, but takes it to the last series. A little bit embarrassing. Fight on for 2015. Let's get the Nuggets for a great recruiting class. That's John. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of talk about discipline and aggressiveness and all of that. Uh, you are who you are. You are what your record says you are. You are how you how you coach and how the you know the players perceive you, and you are how your assistants coach for you. And uh, you know, we'll have to see. I mean. Sark's only 40 years old. He's six years as a head coach, so that you know you get you get a kind of a sense about that. You would think there's room. Uh, we're hearing things we haven't heard before. Uh, 
and he's always been good at kind of explaining himself, and, uh, and he wants you to understand what he wants to do, and I think and he talks about, and we don't see this, he talks about how hard he coaches the quarterback, for example, and things like that. We don't really see that, uh, but you, you would like to see some hard coaching going on here. Hard coaching, I think, with this young, talented you know, team that does need to come together and does not need to commit eight penalties in the, you know, the first quarter, doesn't need to have that reputation. It was obvious. I do remember a few years ago when USC basketball was playing North Carolina, and the North Carolina fans, you know, for the entire week uh, leading up to that NCAA tournament game, were writing and talking and about can they get USC in foul trouble? Can they get USC in foul trouble? And, and you know, it was the whole kind of you know behind the scenes talk and uh, with the tournament and all that, and which is exactly what they did. USC went in the game until Taz Gibson finally fouls out. And, you know, that was what, you know, they had uh, in, in their mind. They knew that probably to beat USC, they had to get Taz Gibson out of the game. And the thing that Nebraska people were trying to do, literally the only thing they thought they had an advantage against USC was in penalty. if they could get USC to commit enough dumb penalties or hope USC would commit them, not necessarily get them to do it, and USC cooperated like clockwork. You know, that was the one, literally the one advantage Nebraska felt they had, that we won't commit nearly as many penalties as USC will. And you don't want that reputation. I mean, you don't want, like, if a Big 12 crew is coming in to call the game, you don't want them thinking, this is the 118th most penalized team in the country. Hell, you know, we won't go wrong if we flag them a lot. <laughs> yeah. And... That's that's the tag, and and that's got to stop. I think uh, USC just has to, you know, has to do better than that. And that is not a lot of that is coaching. I mean, that's absolute emphasis, emphasis in practice. You've got to get that done right, and you got to stop them. And the assistants got to coach, and everybody's got to coach it. And you know, I might be one to say to Adore, okay, don't ever do that again and slap him on the back and say, nice run. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but you want him to know that you really mean it, that he isn't going to do that again, yeah. ever. And there has to be that sense of, you know, when I tell you that, I can, you know, congratulate you and be happy for you and make sure you are never going to do that again. And that's uh, that's kind of a fine line to walk, but you got to do it. And this team really need somebody to do it. As young and talented as they are, they have to get their act together. And uh, along the same lines, um, we have this question or comment. Uh, he said, well, first he said, Ryan, would you comment as an alumni on your feelings on the continued showboating, late hits, and 15-yard penalties? As an alumni myself, I was disgusted by the holiday ball antics. They appeared undisciplined, uh, as they have all year with excessive penalties, and did not represent my university with any sense of class. I'd also like Dan's comments about it, and if Sark uh, is ever asked about such things, and how he feels that reflect on the university. Do you think, or have you ever heard the AD comment on it? Uh, what can be done? No USC team should act like this, in my opinion, but this team doesn't seem to me to be a team that has ever earned the right for cockiness. 
Seems like these things get glossed over, but they almost cost us the game, and probably did cost us the Utah game. He's a disgusted alumni in San Pedro. Hmm. I, I don't make it sound like this is this is Miami. You know, I mean, these are kids, and one of the problems we have is we get to know these kids. They aren't uh, they aren't punks. They're in a punk on this team. It's amazing. They really don't have any of those kind of kids. They got you know kids that are exuberant, kids that are fun, kids that you know are a little bit like like uh, you know Dory said I did it for my dad. He couldn't come to the game. He said you know and the next time you want to say figure out something else to do for your dad you know. Uh, but there is a little bit of you know Reggie Bush and all these kids. They were you know only eight or nine years old some of them when they you know Reggie was doing that, but. Uh, it's amazing. Paul D, that may have been the one thing Paul D was right about, uh, about how many recruits Reggie over the years. You know, at the time, it, he wasn't right. But uh, maybe over the years, uh, Reggie Bush is still recruiting for USC in, in, in some ways. Yeah, um, completely. But th- th- yeah, but these are not punk kids. They're not. One of the things you, you realize when you uh, were on the field and you, after the games and that, they don't try to show up anybody else. They don't have problems with other teams. Other teams really, I mean, the camaraderie and the way those teams got together on the field last night after the game and all that, there's none of that going on at all. So it's not the same kind of thing. I would not put it in any class of, uh, you know, where it should embarrass the university. What should embarrass the team is just that lack of this. You know, lack of discipline that hurts the team. It hurts your teammates, and you can't do that. Uh, but there's not any ill will there. This is not a team that, you know, is trying to show anybody up. And, 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 and most of what they do is just they have a lot of fun playing. And, and it's more of that than anything. I don't know what, you know, Brian, you know, thinks that, thinks that way, but we don't ever get the sense that these are, you know, cocky, punky kids. That's just not who they are. Yeah, I agree with you, Dan. I mean, I I think it was a little, there were some irresponsibilities there. You know if you're going to flip into the end zone, you're going to get a penalty. And it wasn't like they were up by three scores or anything. I mean, it was obviously a close game. And, uh, you know, Leonard Williams, to get two back-to-back personal fouls, and I'm not sure. I mean, we didn't get to we get to watch a tube well, TV. The one I, I the one I saw, I think he did, definitely did not deserve. Yeah. I didn't really see the other one. The one was a bad call. Yeah. I, I think one was a bad call, uh, without a doubt. Uh, and um, you know, so yeah. But as an alumni, I, I'm not yeah. disgusted. I mean, it's different now. It's not you know, we're covering the team. We're around it all the time, and and you know, like just Dan said, you know these guys and. Um, I didn't see something like that. I, I can see how someone might feel that way, but I, I just don't get the feeling, like Dan said, it's not a bunch of punks that are that are doing a lot of bad things. I mean, I think there was a lot of excitement there, and um, there's a lot of frustration too. That's you know getting over these sanctions, and they're still not going to be you know Steve Sarkeesian said in the conference call they're they're going to get to the mid 70s, and that's it. So it's not like the sanctions are even over next year. They're going to be you know at least 10 scholarships down whatever when they play again. So uh, it's, it's and the frustration. It's a if there is frustration, it's you know ought to be for people. That's where you ought to be frustrated is that nobody has stepped up and said it's over. Three years, seventy-five scholarships. We're going to eighty-five. You, we the penalty was never 
for four years or five years. And USC and everybody involved with USC ought to be stepping up and saying, that's it. And whatever it takes to get back to 85 scholarships, uh, there's, I mean, in a sense, in essence, then, USC got a four-year penalty yeah. at 75 scholarships. And you could, do, you could argue doing. five with the, the free agency and all that stuff that happened before. So, yeah, it's been yeah. it's been going on a long time, and it's not over yeah, yet. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And USC ought to not accept that. That's not what the penalty was. And USC, I mean, you have the right to request another hearing in front of the Committee on Infractions. And I think USC ought to do that. They ought to appeal. And they ought to say, you know, we want to go back to 85. That's what we were supposed to be, you know, we were supposed to be penalized for three years. And this is ridiculous, and we're not going to accept it. And USC, with what we know is coming out probably, uh, USC has some leverage here, and they ought to use it. Yeah. I wish uh, people would speak up more than they have. For example, Penn State, everybody at Penn State spoke up. Everybody, from the new football coach. The board of trustees, everybody said this is wrong. We don't like it. You know, of course, what was what was done was terrible, but the way the NCAA did it and the way they penalized this and the way they penalized all the wrong people and all the innocent people, uh, and that's wrong. And the NCAA gave them most everything back and said, "Yeah, you're right." And why that hasn't happened with USC is just it's it's ridiculous. It's and, baffling. And if you want to be frustrated, that's something to be frustrated yeah. about. Uh, all right, well, let's move on. We want to get to the rest of these questions here before we let you go, Dan. Uh, Julian writes in, hey, guys, love the show. feel that anything I know about college football I've learned from you since I never played. Uh, I never played either, Julian, but hopefully we can help you out. Um, <laughs> this game has all the signs of our Sarkeesian called game, meaning that the offense never seemed to find any rhythm and played way below its potential, unlike the game against Notre Dame, which seemed to have been called by Clay Helton. Is there anyone besides Steve Sarkeesian and maybe his mom who thinks he's a gifted play caller? Man, that's pretty harsh. Uh, I mean, geez, the talent on USC's side looks about 50 points better than the talent on Nebraska's side. I mean, take USC's first possession in the fourth quarter. He calls a freaking bubble screen. They lose yardage and go three and out. They've been running so well. Second possession, he calls two runs right into the teeth of Nebraska D-line. They go three out, three and out again. If Sark loves being an offensive coordinator so much maybe he should follow his buddy lane kiffin down to an sec team where he can get the stubbornness chewed out of him by a real head coach like nick saban <laughs> seemed like it's actually working out pretty well for kiffin and alabama and how great was it to see kiffin get his ass chewed when he made on made one of his bonehead moves fight on julian wow tough one julian yeah julian you can just send that on in uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, Heritage Hall, I guess. Uh, uh, interesting points. Uh, uh, I mean, one of the problems I have is in practice during the week, basically Clay, you know, obviously they agree on everything they're going to do, and they script everything out, and, and, and you know, it's, it's a you know, combined staff decision. But Clay does run the offense in practice, and then you get to the games, and he doesn't run the offense. And I think that's that's an issue, kind of. I mean, if you're the head coach and you've got so many things to do in practice that you can't really run the offensive part of practice, don't you have more things to do during the game, a real game? I mean, 
that to me is where the disconnect I think comes in uh, a little bit. And I, I do think there's some trying too hard. Uh, I thought you you know, the, the play calling, I thought, I mean, I just think we're talking about play calling didn't work. They scored 45 points in three quarters, you know, and then they took the fourth quarter off. Although Sark said, Oh, we were going for it in the fourth quarter. Well, I mean, didn't look like it. Yeah, I mean, this is the problem. The last three games haven't scored a point in this fourth quarter. Yeah, and I think Zero. you said six six of the thirteen games they didn't score in the fourth quarter. Is that correct? That's exactly correct. Six okay. of the thirteen games they were shut out in the fourth quarter. None of the game, thirteen games were they shut out in the first quarter. The advantage in the first quarter is a hundred and uh, I think sixty-seven to fifty-three USC. They've outscored opponents 167 to 53. The fourth quarter, they're outscored by those same opponents 86 to 66. Now, you can say, oh, they're tired. Offense? I mean, they don't feel like the offense is tired. They're not running as many plays as they thought they were going to run. Something changes. Sark said that's going to be a major focus. Now, his point of view is that the focus is going to be on the players, and understanding what they're calling and why they're adjusting. And, you know, I suggested that maybe it is young guys who can really understand the basic game plan going into the game, but don't pick up on the fly when you go in different directions to react to um, uh, what the other team is doing or what what the opportunities are. Sark said he didn't want to, you know, use the youth of the team as an excuse. But he said, we've got to understand what we're doing when we're changing during the game. I think that applies to the coaches even more than to the players, yeah. as, far as, as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, but uh, the very fact that at least they say they're really, really aware of how they have to become a good team in the fourth quarter, and they absolutely do, do have to become a good team, and a good team is the coach and the players together have to become a good team in the fourth quarter. And it starts with the coach. I don't think there's any question about it. And uh, so, uh, I mean, they, they seem to be aware of it. Just being aware of it, though, that doesn't solve it. You have to figure it out. And uh, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it, it, in-game management, is not easy. I mean, it's not easy to, you know, you're thinking all these different thoughts. And, uh, you know, guys do develop and guys do have the ability eventually to, you know, be comfortable and confident during the game. I don't know right now that there's anybody at USC that's completely comfortable or confident. If you remember, you know, and other people say, oh, Pete, you you always talk about Pete. But, that team, you win seven out of whatever, six out of seven or seven out of eight BCS games, they showed up to play. The bigger the game, the more they showed up to yeah. play. And they were confident. They were better prepared. They knew they were going to win. They, I mean, they had some of the most – I mean, that Notre Dame game, nobody else wins that game. I mean, it's just something – there was something about that team and the way – the confidence that they had. And that has to start – developing at USC at every level of the program, that total confidence in, uh, in that they're going to do the right thing. They know the right thing to do. And uh, a lot of that is, 
you know, the, the players have to believe in the coach. And the coach has to, you know, get them to really – and that's why last night, just a three-point win, at least it, it wasn't a lot. And had it gone the other way, that would have been so difficult to do over the next year. I don't know how you would have overcome it. So it allows them to have the chance to develop that. But uh, yeah. they really do have to figure that out. Uh, we got a couple more. Stephen Poway had a few observations. I'll read them off to you and get your thoughts on them, Dan. He said, first, Soma Vanuku demonstrated, he called him Somo Vanuku. <laughs> Somo Vanuku demonstrated once again he has explosive power on special teams, maybe too much, and I wondered if maybe he uh, wouldn't be better assigned as a linebacker or a rushing defensive lineman rather than a third string backup to the backup fullback this year. Uh, Adore Jackson's return for touchdown catch and run gave me flashbacks of Reggie Bush. He's just running at a different speed than anyone else. Shouldn't he be a receiver first and a cornerback second? And then finally, Juju Smith is is great fun to watch as a receiver, but I really wonder if he should perhaps be playing safety first and then play more sparingly as a sparingly as a receiver. Going forward, I know Soma's move Soma is moving on, unfortunately, but I wonder if the coaches should switch Juju and Adore. Stephen Poway. Well, I don't know that Soma is moving on. I don't. I don't think we absolutely know that for sure, do we? No, I don't think so. No, I. I. I've been thinking about that myself. I think you know, looking at him as a middle linebacker is absolutely something I think about. I mean, that kind of power, that kind of explosiveness, the ability to locate the football. I mean, I, they're going with. I mean, you know, he's probably uh, as tall as Manti Teo was. Uh, to play in there, so uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's a, a really good idea. I hope they really take a look at that. Um, and I don't know that we know what kind of, uh, you know, situation going forward that Lamar Dawson is going to be in. Uh, but uh, if you added Lamar and you know Soma on the inside, I think that that shores things up a lot. I mean, they really do need somebody to come come up and meet people at the line of scrimmage, especially without Leonard. So as far as the Dory and Juju switch, the more you watch the, the safeties last night, the more you do wonder about Juju, uh, would that be a good idea? It might be. Uh, he, he, he may have the ability to just be an absolutely unbelievably good safety the more I think about it. I, I wasn't always thinking that way, but I'm starting to think, I'm starting to think that way. And but, we uh, we put up a video interview that Keeley did, and uh, he said he wants to he's going to talk to the coaches again. He really wants to play safety now. So they were kind of reluctant to do it, give him both sides of the ball like Adoree Jackson, or three sides with uh, special teams too. But he said he wants to, so it'll be interesting to see if if they let him. But yeah, I don't think you can uh, do it other than safety first, uh, to coin a phrase, and then. Uh, <laughs> wide receiver. I mean, he's obviously played enough wide receiver, so you could do that. He's not a Dory, though. A Dory is, I mean, who else can you just put in there for one play at tailback and, you know, get a 71-yard touchdown? Just like that. I mean, it's just he's amazing. I mean, he's just so one of a kind. Uh, I mean, what they don't need right now are a lot of more, you know, numbers as wide, at wide receivers. However, you know, if Nelson moves on, uh, 
and let's say you are you do maybe make one move with Juju, maybe you make the other move with you know with with Adore so that he's a uh, wide receiver first. Uh, I think he could do it wide receiver first and still give you everything you needed at cornerback. I, I'm not sure that you could go that route with Juju and it's safety. I think it, you it's safety. You really have to understand where everybody is, what the exact angles you're going to take. Because if you get beat, there's nobody there. Uh, so, um, uh, but the more I look at it, the more I think, you know, having that kind of a guy at safety, because it looks like Sula not going back there. Uh, so having that guy, you know, that kind of a uh, athlete at safety might not be a bad idea. All right, we got one last one for you, Dan. It's a voicemail question uh, about coaches. Uh, let me play that one for you. Here we go. J.D. from D.C. with a question for Dan. Dan, are you aware of uh, the bonus structure in any of the coaches' contracts, particularly uh, Sark? I would certainly hope that there hasn't been a scintilla of a rumor of any coach getting an extension or a bonus based on this year's performance, uh, regardless of whether one is in the Sark camp or not on that bandwagon. Moving forward also, would you not agree that there should be no discussion of coaching extensions until uh, Steve Sarkeesian's staff wins a Pac-12 championship, not the Division South championship, but a Pac-12 championship during the duration of this initial contract? Well, uh, J.D., you may be the only one that has been mentioning uh, any kind of extension on a contract. Uh, I'm not hearing any of that. And uh, I mean, one of the problems you got at USC, a private school, we don't ever see the contracts. We don't ever get to know them. USC doesn't have to release them. Uh, all they have to do is put them on their IRS 990 form, uh, which just comes out a couple of years later as to who got paid what. But uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think anybody's talking extensions. Uh, and I, I would think right now this this staff, no one's even talking contract. They're just happy that they got to be nine and four, and you know that only really applies, and it applied with Lane too. When you get down to that like last two years, and they start saying things like the coaches do, or their agents saying things like, well, you know. It's going to be harder to recruit. People are going to use that against us because they won't know for sure if you're going to be here. Now, of course, if that's the kind of reasoning that the only reason you're going to be here is because you got a contract extension, you know you're probably in trouble. Uh, so, uh, but I think it's a, a little premature to you know to worry about uh, anybody getting a contract extension or or bonuses. Uh, this isn't the government. You know, it's not just automatic uh, nine and four, you get a big raise. Uh, but, um, but I don't think, I don't think that's happening. And, uh, and so maybe, uh, if nobody talks about it, we won't have to, have to deal with it. But yeah, I don't, I, uh, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not thinking extension. They're not thinking extension. I mean, I know it, it, it became a problem with Lane, when he wanted an extension uh, during the run-up to the Sun Bowl, and that didn't work out well at all. That was just uh, so. Uh, I think 
people at USC would be well advised to just cool it on talking. I mean, the, the contracts that the coaches got were very generous, very, uh, very good deal. Yeah. And if you were coming from Washington and you got to USC, you were happy as heck. And I don't think there's going to be any uh, any kind of uh, talk about contracts. All right. Well, great stuff. Thanks for that question, J.D., and uh, all the other questions. And thanks to Coach Harvey Hyde. Thanks to you, Dan Weber, for coming on the show. It's been a, a fun year on the podcast again. Thanks so much. Yeah, we ran into a, a fan at the, at the uh, uh, press box at San Diego. The best thing that happened in the press box was uh, a podcast fan who paid attention to uh, everything uh, that goes on the podcast and seemed to enjoy the uh uh, humor intended and otherwise, and uh, it was fun to hear. It was fun, uh, fun to hear that, you know, and and that's happened over the years where you run into people in press boxes who tell you that I listen to the podcast. We ran into the guys from the Fiesta Bowl a couple of years ago, and he said, you know, it was at a Stanford game, and I said, yeah, we listen all the time. We really, you know, it's it's fun to hear, you know, kind of inside stuff and we learn stuff and all that. It's like, wow, who? Who knew? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like, gosh, how did you even know we were <laughs> we were doing them? And you know, but uh, so uh, that's that's nice to hear. And and we we certainly enjoy doing them. And and we certainly love running into you know the people that are out there listening. And uh, when they uh, they tell you they listen, because uh, they feel like they know you because uh, they listen to you, they talk to you every week. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's really cool that uh, that you get that kind of, develop that kind of relationship with people. And uh, and we, we really enjoy, we probably enjoy it more than you guys do, actually. We, we have a lot of fun with it. We definitely do. And I really appreciate you coming on, Dan. You have always great insights. And it's been another great year on the Peristyle Podcast. And want to wish everyone a very happy new year. You can follow us on peristylepodcast.com. Check us out there, and uh, we really appreciate you listening to the show. We will talk to you all next year. Thank you. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.